Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. We're on a nice little run here of big name players coming back. There's a slow ramp up for some of them. Chris, uh, or uh, rather Chris Middleton, Jonathan Isaac, they're on the, the slow ramp train. But we've had a few others that have come back just guns blazing. Brandon Ingram, you know, second game back, big minutes. Anthony Davis was useful the first game back. And then yesterday, now admittedly, they weren't out as long. But Luka Doncic, Kristaps Porzingis roaring back with huge ball games on Monday night. And of course, the only problem with this is, you know, it, it does reminds us that the injury replacement board is not a permanent thing. <laughs> it's not it's not a fixture forever. And, you know, every once in a while we go through a spell where everybody gets hurt. And every once in a while, we go through a spell where guys start to come back a little bit. And that's what we're in right now. We should be happy. The big-name guys are coming back. We might see Kevin Durant next week. I think he wanted to be back probably between the trade deadline and the All-Star break, so maybe not as early as, like, early next week, but possibly by the end of next week. Cat's uh, the one that's still sort of floating out there. Devin Booker is probably not that far away. Let's just try to keep everybody on their feet here right now, especially my old guys. My old guys are really coming through lately. Oh, yes. I I mean, here's the thing. Like, on the Roto side, it's not too late to make a run. And on the head-to-head side, if these guys are now bolstering your lineup for a playoff run, cooking with gas. Good day, everyone. What the hell day is today? It's Tuesday. I knew it. I knew it was Tuesday. You can't fool me. Uh, It's Tuesday. It's Fantasy NBA Today. It is a sports ethos presentation. I got to admit, I do miss the days of hoopball. But it didn't make sense. We have football. We have baseball. We have hockey. We have golf. We have tennis on the wagering side. You can't be hoopball anymore. You got to be other things. You know, let me let you guys behind the scenes a tiny bit here at the front end of today's podcast. Uh, First of all, welcome to the recorded and the live viewers. I would continue to suggest to my recorded listeners to come hang with that uh with us over on the youtube side we're having some fun over there we do questions before and after the show kind of an audience warm-up sort of deal get to know one another a little bit but yeah we'll leave that off to the side for now um there was a, a time where I, w- I was talking to brewski um as as i am wont to do as kind of the the right hand man here at, at sports ethos and we were trying to figure out should we, when, when we branch out, because we knew we were going to be adding additional sports. We knew that football and baseball were going to be the next things on the docket. We didn't really know exactly what order it was all going to happen in. Uh, were we going to add podcasts for those units? Were we going to try to add the content division? As it turned out, we added a football podcast that didn't last that long. That wasn't this year. That was the previous year. And then this most recent year, we added a baseball podcast and revamped the football the football podcast with JP as well. JP and Joe have been doing an unbelievable job. We also added a football division. So the question became, hockey, by the way, shout out to Blake, came a little bit later. The question became, what do we do with hoopball? Because you can't have all of this stuff on a hoopball website when there are other instruments involved besides a hoop. 
Sure, there's balls and a puck in certain instances, but the hoop only made sense for one of the sports we wanted to cover. So Brew and I were trying to decide, I know this is sort of off the rails a little bit, but we were trying to decide, do we rebrand the whole website, which was very much the path of least resistance and ultimately the path we did take. We are now living the ethos of sports. Sports ethos, it's a way of life. Or do we create a sub-branch basically for every individual sport? So there was a time where we were almost a combination website, which would have been hoop-ball.com. There might have been like, uh, you know, uh, things that are, I'll take uh, common terms in other sports for 500, please. Uh, it would have been like puck ice dot, I don't know. <laughs> that one doesn't work as well for hockey. But it might have been like pigskin dash gridiron.com. Like we were trying to come up with names that you could combo together. Bat-ball.com for baseball. Glove-ball.com. Baseball was the easier one there. Um, but that just became too hard. And like we were trying to figure out what combinations of words you could actually get the website for. I think at the end of the day, it would have been more fun if we could have gone that route, but it also would have been incredibly complicated, and who knows if anyone could have ever found what they were looking for here. But anyway, uh, welcome to Sports Ethos. At <laughs> uh, Ethos Fantasy BK is the basketball news feed. You guys are, you must follow that. 9231, that's their count right now. You know I'm trying to get them up to 10K before this season ends. I do think it's kind of mandatory that you guys are following them over there. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Dan Vespers. That should be a given at D A N B E S B R I S. This goes especially for you new uh, listeners slash viewers over on YouTube that haven't seen a whole lot of us before. Those of you that have been listening to this podcast on the recorded channels for five years, you guys probably already do follow on Twitter. Uh, but enough stories about the history of hoop ball and sports ethos. Let's talk a little bit of fantasy basketball. We had a pretty large Monday. Eh, medium, I guess. It was eight games, but it kind of felt like a lot. I don't know why. Maybe because they were spread out. Sometimes you get a day where there's like six of the eight games that all start at 4 or 4.30 out here, and then one or two super late ones. But we had we had a 4, a 4.30, a two, three games that started at 5, one at 5.30, one at 6, and one at 7. Staggered. So you really had games rolling the whole night through. Philly, total letdown mode game. They got off to a very quick start and then just completely pulled the plug on their effort the rest of the ball game. Orlando came roaring back. Big second half comeback. Shot 30 free throws because Philly couldn't be bothered to move their feet on defense. I mean, it was the total, like, hey, we beat the Nuggets. We beat the uh, Western Conference team with the best record. Embiid beat Jokic in that head-to-head battle. Now we got this Orlando game coming and nobody cares. And then, whoopsies. Mo Wagner had a big one for the Magic, but nah, nah. Wendell Carter Jr. just didn't play very well. He wasn't sort of up to the Embiid task, and generally nobody is. Uh, so he lost minutes there. Jonathan Isaac got up to 10 minutes in this ball game, which again, like I think by the end of this week, he might be at 12 or 14, but it's going to be a multi-week thing. Just settle in. We'll look at the count at the end of the ballgame, and at some point it's going to get up near 20, and that's when we can start to consider whether or not we actually want to use him on a, in a ballgame of any kind. Because you're only stashing him on the roto side, remember? 
We talked about this. For Philly, uh, keeping an eye on DeAnthony Melton, who only played 21 minutes in this ballgame, and it felt like a mistake on Philly's side. P.J. Tucker saw uh, bonus minutes again. Um, we know Tyrese Maxey's going to get his playing time, but he didn't look that great in this one. It just, to me, feels like Doc needs to be a little bit more willing to go with Melton if the situation requires it, which isn't going to be the case every night. There are going to be nights where it's better to go a different direction. I think it was better for them to go a different direction against Denver, and it worked. This one, it like they needed a little energy kick. That wouldn't have been a bad idea. Amazingly, he still had enough for some fantasy value. Eight, seven, couple of steals, a three-pointer. That's the beauty of Melton is that he really only needs like 22 minutes to be a fantasy value. I think in general, he probably goes better than this. So I am holding Lakers, zombie Lakers. Troy Brown had 17 rebounds in this game, which is kind of amazing. They fought their tails off, the Lakers did. Attack, attack, attack. That's been kind of the MO for them because they can't shoot. Uh, but it wasn't enough. Brooklyn just had you know, too many guys that can actually hit a jump shot. Patty Mills hit four three-pointers. Royce O'Neal hit three. Cam Thomas hit four. Some of them were pretty tough, actually, for Cam. Kyrie uh, was, you know, kind of like just sort of okay, but it was enough. Daron Sharp off the bench had 8 and 14. Did pick up five fouls because he was flying around. Uh, Nick Claxton, 6 and 12. Lakers actually kind of kept him in check a little bit. But here's the thing that, you know, the Lakers are not going to win many games when the superstar sits. I know they, they squeaked one out in LA, whatever that was, a couple weeks ago, but it's just not going to, especially not on the road. It's not going to happen on the road. And frankly, Russ needs to be better if the Lakers are going to steal one without LeBron and Anthony Davis. And Dennis Schroeder needs to be better. Although, here's where I would say Schroeder had the big edge. Lack of live ball turnovers. Lack of live ball turnovers. Nothing can swing a game faster than extremely easy buckets. That's like the cardinal sin. And... Yeah, that's what happened. The turnover discrepancy wasn't enormous in the ballgame. It was 14 for the Lakers, nine, only nine for the Nets. So, yes, they won it uh, by five. But the real issue was that the Nets had eight steals among those 14 Laker turnovers. Lakers had one steal. So they didn't have an opportunity to turn those turnovers into quick transition buckets in a way that Brooklyn did. And for better or worse, a lot of that falls on Russ. Russ had six turnovers, and a lot of them were just was forcing it. Stop forcing it, man. They got to move this dude. I have a Lakers rant that I just I got to get off my chest at some point. I don't know if it's going to happen during this fantasy show or somewhere else, or I'm just going to scream it into the void. But please, it has to be. Like, there's just no... It doesn't work, guys. Russ is better off the bench than he was with the starters, but he's still... It just doesn't work. Not on a team where things matter. From a fantasy standpoint, I think we all figured Schroeder would do better, but shooting 2 of 15 kind of blows a hole in that. If if LeBron and AD rest any other ballgames, I will go with Dennis Schroeder again because he ain't going to shoot 2 for 15 again. And if those dudes rest in another ballgame, I would probably go with Thomas Bryant again, who did have a decent game other than the whole team's inability to hit a free throw, but he had 18 and 9 with a block. You'll take that every day of the week. I don't think I would go with Troy Brown. I just simply can't believe he'd get 17 rebounds 
ever again. It's so far beyond anything he's done. And then on the Brooklyn side, uh, we know KD is out. Ben Simmons has been nursing a sore knee. And while he's been out, Royce O'Neal has actually been just like a standard startable play. He's been a, a cut above schedule stream. But I do think he, like all of these guys, basically, falls back into that schedule stream area when Simmons comes back and then falls further when Kevin Durant comes back, uh, if you even want to use any of those guys. Wizards got Kristaps Porzingis back, and it was delightful. Nothing like a game against the tanking Spurs to get the juices flowing. Kristaps 17-9-7, three steals and five blocks. Oh, boy. Big welcome back. He looked fine. Denny Avdia is the interesting one here. Now, uh, so I don't want this to come off like I'm anti-Avdia in any way, because I'm not. And I think we've, we've talked about this at some length on the podcast. Uh, I want to talk about Delon Wright at some point during this, game, this, this segment as well. Avdia was just my second choice behind Gafford while Porzingis was out, which I don't think was wrong, because Gafford had a monster game over the weekend with five blocks, huge field goal percent numbers. He was amazing. Gafford was out with with the flu in this one, non-COVID illness, which is the 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 new term for the flu or bad cold, sniffles, <laughs> aches and pains, whatever it is. Uh so he, here's the thing. We like we have to be we have to be thorough in our analysis. Let me start with the a topic sentence here. Topic sentences, I think Avdia and Gafford should each continue to be held on rosters. Yes, both of them. And I would say hold Delon Wright as well. Hold all three of those guys. That's the topic sentence. That's my thesis here. My reasoning is, and I'll go through each player one by one. For Delon Wright, most things are staying the same here, even in a cooldown. He just hasn't had a steal in the last couple of ball games, And that's really where his value lies, is getting steals and then turning that into other stuff. Is it a little weird he didn't get any steals against the Spurs? Yeah, a little bit. But, you know, that stuff evens out. And we talked about it on yesterday's show as well. Sometimes a guy will have a nine-steal week and then a zero-steal week. And at the end of the year, we look back and we're like, oh, he averaged, you know, one and a half steals per ball game, But it doesn't always happen that they get one and a half steals per ball game. So hold Delon right for now. We'll, we'll see how this thing develops. He's not a perma hold, but he is one for the moment. As far as Avdia and Gafford go, on the Avdia side, he has a well-rounded fantasy game. I think his upside is capped by the fact that with Porzingis, Beal, Morris, Nunn, and Wright all healthy, he's no longer a ball handler. He's had to kind of reinvent himself a little bit as a rebounder lately. Not that he wasn't a good rebounder before. He's a pretty big dude, actually. I think we forget that Avdia is a relatively large fella. Um, but he had one assist in this ballgame. That's the part that scares me a little bit. Because we know he can get one steal per game. We know he can get, like, maybe just under a block per game. We know he can get one three-pointer. And the one-one-one stuff I do like a lot. And we know he can get six rebounds or more. But... All of that is sort of like quiet baseline. We look for guys that have the ability to pop off. Now, he did kind of pop off in yesterday's ballgame. Denny had 25 points on only 12 shots. Is a guy going to hit 10 for 12 shooting every night? I think we all know the answer to that is no. 
So where does this settle with Avdias? Probably the the end point to that to the to the Denny discussion here. And the answer is I don't really know because we still haven't seen the Wizards without Hachimura, but with both Porzingis and Gafford getting front court minutes. Taj Gibson played 18 minutes in this ball game with no Gafford. He goes back to basically playing zero. What does Gafford get? Does he get 24 minutes? Does he get 26? 22? Where does he fall? And beyond the 18 that Taj Gibson probably gives up, where do the other 4, 6, 8, 10 minutes for Gafford come from? Unfortunately, a lot of it probably comes from that forward bucket, which is Gafford plays center, it pushes Porzingis down to power forward in certain instances. That pushes Avdia either down to small forward or back to the or back to not playing. Because Kyle Kuzma is the other power forward. There just wouldn't be many of those minutes left. Does it push Corey Kispert to a lower number of minutes in favor of Avdia? Maybe, probably, should we say? Maybe slightly better than 50-50? So I think Denny probably does get close to 30 minutes most games, even after Gafford comes back. But... Are the rebounds going to be there when Gafford and Porzingis are both available to play? Are the assists going to be there when all these ball handlers are there? That's why I'm a little bit not as sky high on Denny as maybe some others are. And I don't want, again, I don't want that to come off as a slight. I like Avdia. I don't see the explosion possibility. Should he be rostered? Yeah, I just said at the beginning, all these guys should be held. And then with Gafford... It, that one's really more of a big question mark. I don't have a great paragraph to to lay on you guys on Daniel Gafford. I just want to see, with everybody around, do they still give him 25, 26 minutes? Because if they do, then I'll still, then I'll still play him. And if, if instead, Porzingis returning pushes Gafford back to more like 20 to 23 minutes per game, then we move on. On the Spurs side, Zach Collins had a little explosion game, 16 and 11 with a couple of blocks in 22 minutes. This is kind of unusual for him. He doesn't usually pile up numbers this quickly. This again, big games, little games, big games, little games. It's about what they do on average, not on any given night. So that's why I'm not quite as high on him as a trade deadline stash, but he is sort of like the safe floor backup center trade deadline name. Jeremy Sohan coming off a huge ball game was actually still decent in this one, but he profiles a bit more as a points league type of option because he doesn't get steals or blocks. His uh, his percentages were fine in this ball game, but typically they're not that great. Um, so you're looking at a guy who gets you mostly points, boards, and assists, and you know that doesn't really work as well for nine cat, but it works fine if all you need for value is to pile up stats in a couple of categories. Uh, and then Jakob Pertl went back to being bubble-wrapped in this one. It was a blowout, so I think that was part of it. He might have gotten another four or five minutes at the end of the ballgame. He's still just barely teetering on the brink of startable, but more than anything, I, I believe that he's a buy-low. Jakob Pertl's a buy-low. Sacramento at Minnesota. This was the back-to-back in mini for these two teams. This was the the home-and-home, home or the, the road-and-road, road, depending on which team you're looking at. Uh, Demontis Sabonis fouled out. It was a funny sequence here where he thought he got ejected, but he didn't. I don't... It was very odd. He ended up fouling out, and uh, Sacramento won in overtime anyway because De'Aaron Fox is sick in late-game situations. He's a monster late in games this year. Neither team could hit a free throw to save their lives. Kings 68%. Wolves 
52%. Rudy Gobert playing a large role in that. Although Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell, that was crazy. D'Lo went 0 for 3 at the foul line. Ant-Man went 1 for 4, and Rudy went 5 for 10. He was the best among the three. Slow-mo, 9, 8, and 6 with a block and a three-pointer. Love that dude's stream. No real news there. Someone was asking me what they should do about Jaden McDaniels, and my answer is kind of the same one I've been given for about the last five or six weeks. He's going to hang right on the border between schedule stream and everyday start. I would lean towards everyday start, especially right now where uh, stars are coming back, so the injury replacement board is shrinking. You don't want to give up on a guy who's like right around the 95 to 110 range because there isn't a really good replacement at this exact moment. Nothing on the Kings side. They've, they've literally had no fantasy news for the, le- the better part of three months. We've just been like slowly watching Keegan Murray get a little better every week all season long, and now he's a start. Easy peasy. Folks! Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like walking your dog without putting him on a leash. Most of the time, you'll be fine. Although, <laughs> not for me. My dog my dog would be gone in five seconds flat. Maybe you have a well-behaved dog. I don't know. But what if one day, squirrel, off they go. Or what about if your dog gets taken? That actually happens. There are expensive breeds out there. Adopt, don't shop. But it's better to be careful, whether it's with your dog or your internet and your privacy, especially when it's as simple as using ExpressVPN. Look, every time you connect to an unencrypted network, restaurants, hotels, airports, whatever, your data is not secure. Any hacker on that network can get in and steal your personal information, but ExpressVPN creates an encrypted tunnel and they can't it would take that airport hacker with a supercomputer over a billion years to get past expressvpn's encryption and the best parts two best parts one works on all your devices phones laptops tablets even on your tv and two you turn it on and it you click one button that's it you don't have to go through a bunch of technical mumbo-jumbo, you turn on ExpressVPN, you click one button, and you're protected. It's been awesome for me to know that my data is safe as I bounce from place to place, as I do play-by-play in other locations. I can use networks and not worry about it. It's been awesome to be able to use it and get access to other streaming services, things in other areas geographically. And right now, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN free at expressvpn.com slash hoopball, our old name. That's expressvpn.com slash hoopball, expressvpn.com slash hoopball. 15 months for the price of 12. Check them out right now. All right, what do we got next? Uh, Warriors win in Oklahoma City. This is, you know, technically, I guess this is sort of good for uh, for the for the Lakers. <laughs> uh, Lakers need the Thunder and the Blazers to keep losing. I think they'd like the Wolves to go back to losing some more. Jazz, I think they'd be okay with those teams losing. The scrum is on, man. Warriors and the Clippers are starting to push themselves back above. The Suns are going to do the same here in a little bit. The Mavs, I still don't fully believe in the Mavs. I think they're going to fall into this seven. 
I think they're going to be in the play-in tournament when this thing's all said and done. Pels is a question mark because they've been really floundering. Badly need Zion back, but I don't know. Something about the Pelicans feels like they're going to get this thing going here soon. In any event, no massive things here from Warriors Thunder. Um, Andrew Wiggins looked a little better here. He'd been in and out of the lineup. He had the injury. He had the illness. Then he had another illness. It's always something with him lately, but 15-4 and four with three defensive stats. Remember, he got off to like an otherworldly start this year, and then the season's just taken the strangest turn for Wiggins. He's still number 45 on a per-game basis, uh, but he's only played in 30 ball games now, and hopefully, you know, this is the start of him looking a bit more like himself. It's probably going to hurt Jordan Poole, who's had a nice efficiency bump here lately, but I don't know if he's going to get the same opportunity now that Wiggins is back in there. The other guy I was keeping an eye on was Dante DiVincenzo, who... Played 26 minutes off the bench instead of more like 30. 26 probably isn't enough. He got some steals here. He hit some threes. He's going to have to be, frankly, really lucky in 26 minutes to hit fantasy value every day. He probably does, however, profile as an interesting schedule play for you know things like back-to-backs where Clay would rest, and so that opens up some time, and if anybody else takes a game off, then you sort of cash in there as well. As far as the Thunder go... Uh, nothing, really. You know, Lou Dort is out for a little bit here. Aaron Wiggins has been getting some starts, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to stick. It's Shea, it's Giddy, and then it's Jalen with an E, Williams. And that's the way it's been forever. So let's just keep moving. Nothing there. Nothing to see here. Luca back for Dallas with a 50-burger. Nothing like picking on the Pistons to get yourself back in the groove. Of course, with Luca back and, um... Literally doing everything, that makes all of the stuff we were exploring on the Mavs side moot. Dorian Finney-Smith, not worth it anymore. Bullock, Tim Hardaway Jr., none of these guys worth it. You're going to see Dinwiddie fall off a cliff here. Spencer has actually been you know, pretty good this season. He's number 79, buoyed by some of these uh, missed games for Luka, but generally he's just sort of like quietly been decent. Uh, and he's done it because his field goal percent has been a little bit better. Now, the fear for me is, does that continue to taper off for Dinwiddie? He's never really been a guy that's been able to sustain a per-game mark above that 80 range, but he's doing it this year, and he's been extraordinarily durable, which is also really helpful on the head-to-head side. Um, He's a guy I would try to sell, generally, and I kind of felt that way all year, but we haven't really talked about it. Whatever. We'll leave that for another day. The Spencer Dinwiddie chat is for another day. Detroit is an interesting spot because right now they seem to be showcasing Alec Burks. He started, he played 30 minutes again. Uh, they brought Killian Hayes off the bench again, and Killian fouled out. Jaden Ivey also fouled out in this game. These guys just could not keep their hands off Luka Doncic. And yeah, that you could argue that maybe that helped Burks a little bit, but he had played 31, 29 minutes in the previous couple of ballgames also. I know he didn't pile up the stats in this particular game, but Alec Burks on a tanking team with 30 minutes is a must-start play. I don't know how long it goes. That's the big question mark for me. I have no idea how long Alec Burks gets this kind of run. It might be until next Thursday. He's a guy that should probably get moved at the trade deadline. I don't know if he will. He's... Like, he profiles is just the kind of guy like a, that a team that, like, the Lakers could really use. 
uh, a competent scorer who can hit a three-pointer, who can get to the foul line, who can slash, who's not a complete sieve on defense. There are a couple of those guys floating around out there. Burks would make a ton of sense. It, what he doesn't make sense doing is playing big minutes on a tanking Pistons team, but here we are. So for now, add him. Add Alec Burks. Probably the best add of the night, honestly. Uh, but just be aware. like this could This could evaporate in a day. I don't even really know why it's happening. Jayla Duran, good again. Steal three blocks also. That's coming out of the blue. Didn't rebound as well, but you know what? That's hard to do when uh, your guards foul the opposing superstar on every single play. There are no rebounds to get. Womp womp. What do you do with Killian Hayes is a question. You guys know that I've been kind of low on him, and I've I've taken a lot of heat about it, but his, he's just a, not a nine-cat guy. You know, he's terrible field goal percent, not good free throw percent. Turnovers are relatively high. He doesn't score that well. He assists fine, and he steals fine. But you just can't be bad in that many things in a nine-cat game when you're only really good at two. He profiled more as a points league type option pretty much all the way through, even more than a punt guy, because you need to be punting field goal percent and points and threes, really, to make sense as a guard for your team. And so now coming off the bench, you know, maybe there's this idea that he can get in there and his usage was pretty high coming off the bench. Can he pick on a second unit for opposing teams? I don't know. Honestly, I've never been super high on Killian, and this, to me, only makes it a little bit worse. So I'm, I don't think I would move on if you had him and he fit your build. I think he probably does end up starting again after the trade deadline, but he never really fit any of my builds. So I don't have any Killian Hayes on my fantasy teams. Phoenix won again. This was a tough game for Toronto. They're on a, a West Coast swing and they pushed him. They pushed him pretty good, but couldn't quite get over the hump. No OG Ananobi. So Precious Achua double-doubled again. I Again, I have no idea where this weird surge of Achua efficiency has come from, but it seems to be there. Could it disappear? Yeah, I mean, we've, you know, seen it for a few weeks here, so I don't know for sure that it's fully permanent, but it's semi-permanent right now, so you might as well just roll with it. Chris Boucher got 24 minutes. I don't trust his minutes to stick, so I'm not going to take the plunge on that one. And then over on the Phoenix side, Mikael Bridges has... Not surprisingly, burst out of his slump. And not surprisingly, it's come heavily with Chris Paul back. No surprises. CP3 looking really good these days. 19-9, and nine, two blocks in this ballgame. Made his free throws. Guys, I don't mean to alarm you or anything, uh, but Chris Paul is now up to number 34 on a per-game basis. He's back inside the third round. He's now beating his ADP on a per-game side. I know, not by totals. But come on, you guys wrote him off for dead. He's not dead. Cam Johnson, I don't know if you can buy low after one bad ball game. You probably can't, but if you can, you should. That's one of those things that I say on a podcast, knowing full well it only applies to like 5% of leagues, but you got to throw it out there because maybe you, listener, are in one of those leagues and you can look and see if somebody's maybe a little bit annoyed with Cam Johnson. It's worth a quick poke around. And finally, no Trey Young for the Hawks. They almost won it anyway, which would have been a pretty good win. DeJounte Murray, 48-7, two steals and five three-pointers. He's at number 25 on a per-game basis. He's had a decent season. He's, like, honestly, DeJounte, 
He ended up getting drafted right around the end of the second round, and that's where he's at. By totals, he's number 18. He's been pretty durable this year, so that's good. Um, overall, not a whole lot to complain about. Bogdan, not a surprise. Got a lot of extra usage with no Trey Young out there. He's really more of an injury replacement slash schedule play at this juncture, and I think that's how we should likely treat him. I did get a question that I want to address on John Collins, but let me loop back around to that. Portland side, Nurkic came back. You only missed one ball game, so you can drop through Eubanks. Josh Hart came back. You didn't pick up Nas Little anyway. If, I mean, I told you not to. And Josh Hart did the stuff we expected him to do. 12 boards, 5 assists, a block. Looked good. Everything's sort of back to normal in Portland. Normal being, of course, that Dame has gone completely insane. How, I mean, whoa, he's on a serious run. Lillard's up to number 11, by the way. Nine cat on the season now after that really slow start to the year. Over the last month, I think this is worth exploring. He's number five. Last three weeks, he's number one. Lillard's number one over the last three weeks. You know who's number two? Kawhi. That's right, baby. The old men. Here they come, man. Dame is one. Kawhi is two. CP3 is six. LeBron is seven. I love it. Freddie Van Fleet is ten. It's all happening, man. Penny Lane. Um. Okay, let me go back to John Collins. That was what I wanted to talk about here before we did a uh, tomorrow preview. Tomorrow? What am I... It, I've lost my mind. It's a tonight preview. It's a tomorrow from what we're looking at right now. Whoa, Dano, get some sleep. So, John Collins, he's been on the trade block for what? 25 straight years? I think that's what we're at about now? Roughly two to three decades. Um, What do you do? If you have John Collins, there isn't really anything you can do. Uh, he has settled back into basically the guy that I expected him to be, which was 60-something per game on the year. Smaller role with DeJounte Murray coming to town. He just wasn't going to get as many shots, especially as other younger guys get to do more. Bogdan Bogdanovich was you know, set to play more games this year, then that sort of didn't happen, but now he's in there, and then you've got DeAndre Hunter, who missed a lot of last season with injury. He's generally been in there. A.J. Griffin gets some shots off the bench. There's just not as much for Collins to do on a night-to-night basis. But what would you get for him if you even tried to sell right now? I don't think you could even get a 60-range guy back for Collins because anybody that's been watching has seen him taper off after starting the year as a top 25 play. He's been much worse than 60 since then. What could you get for him? Spencer Dinwiddie? Franz Wagner? Injured Bobby Portis? Draymond Green, maybe? I don't know. I don't think you could get much. So what you're hoping for is that he gets traded to a place that will give him a little bit of freedom. And frankly, my thought is you're hoping for a trade of almost any kind to just get him into a new place. John Collins looks like the poster child for needs a change of scenery guy. Doesn't he? He's playing. You know, they haven't shorted his minutes, but he just doesn't fit. Not many guys do fit alongside Trey Young. So ball dominant. It's really hard to play alongside a guy like that unless your team is crushing. And Atlanta's not crushing. 
And so, you know, we've bad blood and whatever. Everybody's getting on each other's cases. They were supposed to take a step forward with Ajante Murray and all that stuff, and it hasn't really happened. So here we are again with Collins on the trade block. So my hope is get him traded. Now, if you are a Stonesy type, maybe you are. You know me. I'm not... I'm, they don't, I'm not a, a big balls guy in fantasy, but maybe this is one of those spots. Buy low on John Collins. Because to me, it feels like a worst-case scenario is continuing what's already happening. Which, based on whatever you know, going rate is for Collins right now, I don't know what that is. Again, maybe you could get him for like an 80-range guy. That's not super costly. If you can get John Collins for an 80 to 100 range player, I think I would do it. Boyan Bogdanovich has been in there the whole year. Uh, Marcus Smart, who's out, but people think has been better than he has been. You're not going to get him for Lowry because he's been slumping lately. Uh, Just look at the board in your league. Look at the teams between 75, or look at the players, sorry, between 75 and 100. Try to figure out if somebody has more name power than they do fantasy power. Buy on John Collins and then just cross your damn fingers that he ends up in a place where he has a similar number of minutes, but freedom. Not playing with a guy who, in typically young, has a usage of like 35 to 40 every ballgame, but maybe a team where they spread it around a little bit. It's an interesting concept. I don't think I'm crazy. All right, let's, uh, let's turn the page. Let's look at what's coming up tonight. It's a five-game Tuesday, so a relatively light evening in the NBA. Miami is at Cleveland, uh, mostly watching Oladipo and Kyle Lowry. I, I, Lowry has the edge for me there in terms of can any of these dudes survive because he's a starting point guard in the NBA, and he keeps getting chewed out for not basically doing enough as part of their offense. He's being too passive. I think he'll bust out of it. He'll come out of his slump, and he'll have some decent ball games, and he'll settle probably, frankly, where he's at now, which is like 80 range, and that's better than any of us thought when we drafted him anyway. You knew he wasn't going to stick in the top 50-60 because a lot of guys were hurt during that stretch. As far as Oladipo goes, I don't know. I'm hanging on to him because the minutes continue to be there. The steals are super-duper high. The percentages have hurt, and that's what's kept him from being a little bit higher he actually makes sense as, you know, we tried, I try lately to describe guys the way that they fit. He's not as brilliant a roto play, but on the head to head side, he actually makes a lot of sense because his field goal percent is the biggest counterweight on him. If you're punting field goal, he's inside the top 100. If you're punting free throw, he moves pretty close to the top 100. If you're punting, uh, I don't know, like threes, he gets a little bump there as well. Uh, Oladipo, in my estimation, has kind of been doing enough to to buy himself a little bit more time, but those are the guys we're watching. Lakers, we know LeBron is in. I'd be very surprised if Anthony Davis wasn't playing because yesterday was listed as a rest day for him, so they're going to be going for this one. It might actually be a must-win game for the Lakers, which seems crazy because, you know, it's January 31st, but anyway, I don't think anybody else in the Lakers has fantasy value if those two guys are in, by the way. For the New York Knickerbockers, um, nothing really. I, you know, I still, <clears throat> I don't think you're going to get, this might be a game where Isaiah Hartenstein plays more, if only because I think the Lakers might get Jericho Sims into foul trouble. They are such an attacking team. The Lakers go right at big centers. 
because they can't shoot. We keep talking about that. They can't shoot, so they just go right at the big centers over and over and over and over again. Uh, if the Knicks go small, you might get a better Emmanuel quickly game. Something to keep in the back of your noggin. Clippers, everybody should be back for this one. Um, so they're a three-horse team when they're healthy. Kawhi, PG, and Zoo. Chicago, I keep wanting to play Patrick Williams and Alex Caruso, and they're they're so freaking close, especially Williams, because he's starting and he's doing, like, he's he's in there. He's in the mix. But then he has these disappearing act games where, you know, I don't know what's going to come from. So last three weeks, he's right around the edge of the top 100 with a steal, a block, and one and a half three-pointers, but he's also shooting 49% from the field and 87% at the foul line. If those numbers weren't high, he wouldn't be inside the top 100. So he's like a very good schedule stream play. And because he's healthy, he actually could be used in most head-to-head formats. So I'll give Patrick Williams just like a little leg up on the competition there. Charlotte... Uh, you know, not a lot here. Like, most of their guys are back other than Kelly Oubre, so most of the fringe dudes have been pushed out. Jalen McDaniels has kind of been pushed out. Dennis Smith Jr. has definitely been pushed out. Mark Williams, I wish we could get him 20-plus minutes per ball game, but it's not happening until Mason Plumlee's out of the way. Uh, on the Charlotte side, I had one of the thing that I wanted to note and now i can't remember it so maybe i'll loop back if i can think of it milwaukee uh, chris middleton's minutes that's really kind of it there bobby portis being out has given pat Connaughton a little window here but as middleton ramps up there's just going to be less for everybody else to do pelicans should have ingram back in this ball game he was rested in the last one mccollum was rested in the last one those guys are expected to play in denver should be a tough ball game for him i assume the nuggets are mostly healthy i haven't heard anything otherwise uh but on the pelican side like i said two days ago I am benching basically everybody that's not a superstar until we see how this dust settles post-Ingram return. For Denver, I start the starters. That's an easier one. And I couldn't think of what I wanted to do with Charlotte. I feel like there was something there that is just (laughs) Tweety Bird right out of my head. And if I think of it, I'll throw it out on social media. So... It is what it is what it is. And that brings us to the thrilling conclusion of our recap and preview show here on Tuesday. Want to remind everybody that's listening on the recorded channels that right now, over on YouTube, we're going to go to a Q&A session with the YouTube chat room. So come join us for a future show. I hope you'll see us over there. The website, of course, is youtube.com slash sportsethos. The main page is sportsethos.com. The Twitter account is at ethosfantasybk. I am at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. All right. Recorded pod listeners, that is indeed the end of your journey here. Um, thank you for listening. As always, continue to make this show as successful as it has been. This is Fantasy NBA Today, Sports Ethos presentation. I am Dan Bespris. We'll get right back at you tomorrow morning. But in the meantime, I do expect to see you guys all over on social media. And awesome, awesome response so far on the recruiting pitch. If you guys want to work with us here at Sports Ethos, hit me up on Twitter at Dan Bespris. Uh, you saw, I mean, it sounds like we're going to have a couple more folks covering NFL teams with podcasts. I think we're going to get another basketball team being covered. Would love to continue to add more people that are really passionate about covering a specific team. Hit me up. Let's talk it through, see if it's a fit. All right. So long, everybody. 